All right, let's look this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9, we'll pick up where we left off last week, talking about the gospel. We were talking about the importance of the gospel. We'll continue with that a little bit. I'd like to back up just a little bit. I like to, in Sunday school, I like to back up into the last week and kind of talk about a few things that we talked about last week. That way we get some uh, flow going to it, Con continuity, I think they call it. So we don't lose nothing from last week, but just a, just a few minutes of review this morning. Let's, let's read the verses, 1 Corinthians 9, and we'll start reading in verse number 16, but let me pray first. Lord, we do thank you this morning for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you for being saved. Thank you, God, that our sins are washed away. We do pray, God, that you would save a soul this morning. Lord, you said the gospel was the power of God unto salvation, and I pray, God, that you'd bring in somebody that would hear, that would understand, that would believe. Lord, they'd, uh, they'd trust you as their Savior, and Lord, you'd change their life. We thank you if you'd do that. Lord, we know you've done that for us, and we thank you for that. There might be somebody here this morning in Sunday school that's not saved. Pray you'd help them uh, speak with their hearts. Lord, if, uh, those, for those of us who are saved, I pray you would instruct us, inspire us, give us something, God, that we can use this week. And we'll thank you and praise you for everything that you do. In Jesus Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. All right, let's start reading in verse number 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Now if we back up into verse number 17, we'll talk about that just a little bit, and then we'll move on with uh, talking about being immersed in the gospel, which is what we said we'd pick up with today. Verse number 17, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if again Against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed. So there's an obvious question that probably pops up in your mind, especially if you're a Sunday school teacher or a preacher. Why in the world would I preach or in what, in what condition would I ever preach the gospel against my will? And that seems like it'd be an odd question. It seems like, well, everybody that preaches would like to preach the gospel willingly, but that's just not the truth. That's not the truth at all. I believe that probably most everybody who's ever preached has probably started off preaching and then gained some confidence. I was talking to a few folks this week about just coming to a new church, which is not exactly a new church for me, but it's a new position. It's a new opportunity away for 10 years and back. It's, in some ways, it seems like a new church. You, 
get up and preach. And if I'm just going to be here for the weekend, get up and preach and let her rip. And then uh, let Brother Allen sit, uh, sort out all the problems next week. Amen. Whatever that might cause. You don't want to cause any problems. Of course, you uh, know I'm just uh, basically kidding about that. But it's a lot simpler if you preach one week and go back and preach in your own church. And you're preaching to people you see every week and talk to every week. And you know what's going on in their lives. And you know a lot of things. It's just uh, there's a relationship there. It makes it easier to preach. And as I teach Sunday school every Sunday, we'll get to know each other better and probably loosen up a little bit and, and things will go a little bit smoother. And that's the way it is for a new preacher. He gets called to preach and he begins to preach and and he doesn't know maybe everything that he ought to know. The Bible calls him a novice. And as he preaches, you know, he gets up and does the best he can. Everybody pats him on the back, whether it's good or not. And says, uh, amen, brother, that's good preaching. And it ought to be a blessing to see a new preacher preach and a, a young guy, whether it's a young guy or an older man that gets called to preach and they don't know everything, they don't understand everything, but they're sold out to the Lord. They're doing the best they can. It's a blessing whether, whether it's, you know, I would hate to think that there's anybody that would, that's a Christian that knows what it is to experience the grace of God and would see a young person or, or, like I say, just a young Christian, no matter what age they are, trying to do something for the Lord and then just get eat up. Wow, this is silly and I could do better than that. Man, then do it. Yeah. <laughs> and man, that's, that's all I can say is just do it if you can do better. Yeah. But what I'm trying to get across to you is that young preacher, he'll, he'll preach and he'll preach the simple things that he knows. And he'll just tell what the Lord's done for him and, and, and how the Lord's worked in his life. But as he grows and he begins to learn about Daniel's 70th week or he begins to learn about the Trinity or something like that. And the Lord lays on his heart, hey, why don't you preach John 3.16? Next time you get the opportunity to preach, now, you know, that's a little bit the simple stuff. That's for these young novice preachers. I'm, I've been preaching all of a year now, and, uh, you know, I, that stuff is for the, you know, for the, for the new guys. Well, that stuff is not for the new guys. The gospel is not for the new guys. The gospel is for whoever's preaching. And in this case, Paul says, woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. And he said, if I do it willingly, it's a rewarding thing. It is re very rewarding to preach the gospel. Uh, some, of the, some of the most uh, or some of the greatest times of assurance uh, for me particularly uh, because I have the mind of a man, I have the worries of a man, I have the cares of this life just like everybody else does. I experience the things uh, that uh, the doubts, the fears and all these things just like everybody else. And when I preach the gospel, there's a great assurance, not just for the hearer, but for the preacher. Yeah. The great benefit in preaching the gospel uh, just from, the, uh, from that standpoint of preaching. You know, well, I heard a great message, and it really uh, helped me. It does the same thing for the preacher. Yeah. But what I'm trying to get across to you is it's, it's a rewarding thing if I'm doing it willingly. But if, if the Lord has to hound me, or if a preacher has to hound me to preach the gospel... Uh, you know, I, I've heard your stance on prophecy and I've heard your stance on homosexuality and I've heard your stance on all these. I've heard your stance on television and dress codes. I've heard your stance on all that. Now, how about preaching the gospel? Well, Lord, I just really, you know, that, that doesn't excite me. Well, see, there's something wrong. You're doing it against your will. And th th this verse is not talking about anybody holding an AK-47 at your head, making you preach the gospel against your will. It's not somebody holding a gun on you and make you witness and uh, witness to the people you work with, yeah. 
Well, the preacher's done preached seven weeks in a row that I, wit that I should witness to my coworkers. I guess I will. Yeah. That's against your will. That's against your will. The preacher says it's no good to watch TV 24 hours a day and that I ought to read my Bible and tell other people about Jesus. I guess I will, so he'll stop harping on it. Well, how'd you know he was exactly talking to you? If he was, <laughs> it's more than just the preacher preaching. It's the Holy Spirit dealing with your heart while, while the preacher's, you think he's harping. Uh, but, but there's somebody else playing the strings to that harp. It's, it's the Lord dealing with it. Uh, oftentimes, you, if you pray up and you preach like the Lord wants you to, people say, well, I was just going through that or we was just talking through that. Well, the preacher doesn't have a listening device in your house. Amen. It's the Lord that's doing the, doing the powerful stuff. Uh, you know, Joseph set his brothers up and put their... Uh, money sacks back in their bag and stuck his cup in there. They went out and arrested them, brought it back, and he said, didn't you know that such an one as I can divine? You know, and that, a lot of people think that's uh, maybe what, the, what being a preacher is about, God's going to tell me what everybody's doing. No, God will just tell you what to say, and then you'll preach, and, and people will think, well, this guy must you know, have telepathic powers or something. No, it's the power of the gospel. It's the power of, of getting in touch with the Lord and preaching and the Lord will dial your number up. And, uh, but you know, there is, uh, there is uh, some times when a preacher will see and he'll live by sight rather than by faith and he'll just look around and find what everybody's doing and I'm going to hit that. Well, I think you've got to hit what you've got to hit in due time and in due season, but pretty much if you preach the Bible and preach the gospel, you'll ring everybody's bell. And if you're following the leadership of the Lord, and I like to get, I don't sit around thinking, now let me catch a, a, a snazzy title and come up with a snazzy title and then, and then uh, preach, a gospel, uh, preach a message based on some snappy title. You just can't find sermons like that. But uh, I would say probably 95% of the time I come up with a sermon based on prayer. Be praying and then uh, praying something about in my life or another preacher's life or somebody's life and uh, a thought will come to mind. Well, that's a good idea. And write it down and preach and then go back or write it down so I can preach it and then go back to praying. And I think sermons that come through prayer and through the leadership of the Lord through the, through the Bible are better than just something I can come up with. I'm a professional preacher, so i got to come up with a sermon this week. That's just no way to preach it. It becomes dead, or it becomes routine. It becomes a, a sideshow. Uh, there are some preachers with great talent, great talent, able to speak, great orators, uh, got uh, high intellect, and are able to come up with things to say. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, if you're preaching through prayer and you're preaching through the word, the, the rate at which you preach the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to increase greatly. You might have been a great prophecy preacher for the last 10 years, but if you get in touch with the Lord, you'll preach the gospel. Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again. And you can incorporate all the doctrines in that and bring it back to the gospel. The New Testament is centered around the gospel. The, the great theme of the New Testament is that the Lord will return and that he will rule and reign. But in the intermediate, the Lord has given us an opportunity by grace to get in before he does that. I'm talking about the Gentiles, of course. He came into his own, his own received him not. So we have this great dispensation of grace in which we get to get saved by grace before the Lord comes back. He is coming back. 
he did mean everything he said in the Old Testament. Oh, Brother Mike, this is the, this is the New Testament. The Old, the Old Testament has not been done away. The, uh, Paul asked the great question, do we make void the law? And basically what he's saying is we're saved by grace now and we've got justification through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. Do we make void the law? He said, God forbid. No, so the law, the law is still, at, uh, the wages of sin is death. Are people still dying? Well, then there's a, great, there's a great effect that we have. But see, what we have is the gospel. And we think, man, these people's lives are in, in such turmoil. These people's lives are in such distress. People are being torn apart. And boy, I need to really jump on their sins. Well, you really need to jump on their sin. See, there's a sin that's separate from their sins. There's a sin that causes their sins. Uh, well, these people at my work, you know, I think I'm going to have to quit this job. There used to be a guy around here who quit his job about every three weeks. Well, why are you quitting your job? Well, those guys are cussing down there. Yeah. Really? You work with people who curse? I can't, can't believe that. You shouldn't have took that job to begin with. Yeah. Hey, man, people curse. You understand? People curse and run around and drink and all this stuff, I stopped at a 7-Eleven up in New Jersey the other day, and, and uh, I was talking to the lady. I think she was surprised I was talking to her. I think most people up in that area just come in with their head down, pay for their stuff, and leave. I come in, how you doing? <laughs> she, I said, how you doing? She looked around like uh, Indian lady. I got my drink and walked up to the counter and I said, uh, where am I at anyway? I didn't know where I was at, just on the outside of Tom's River up there somewhere. And she said, well, she told me where I was. I don't remember where I was. I don't know where I'm at this morning. But <laughs> she, said, she says, uh, I, I, we got to talking about something. What are you doing up here? I said, well, I come up to be the assistant pastor of a church in Delaware, driving this truck and brought somebody up here, so forth and so on. And uh, she, said, she said something about these crazy people. She, I, was, I was like, no, I said, this, this road, I said, this is kind of crazy. I had to come three miles down the road uh, so I could get across into the gas station because they got a divider down the middle. Suppose they had a divider down the middle of, 13, you had to go six miles in order to turn into the mall parking lot. Everywhere you go, no left turns. For a liberal state like New Jersey, they got 500,000 signs that say no left turns. <laughs> so I said, this is a crazy town. You can't, you can't, I've got to drive six miles. I could just turn left and be where I'm going, but I got to drive. So that's how I ended up here. Where am I? And she goes, yeah, this is a crazy place. She said, the only thing that people do here is drink. And she pointed out back of the store, there was a bar. And I don't remember what time it was, but it was full already. Uh, the parking lot was full. She said, they drink. She points over next door. There's uh, smoking here. And she had lottery in her store. She said, drinking, smoking, lottery, that's where you make your money. She said, she said, she said these people are crazy. They spend money on all this vice, and that's why, she said, that's why we moved from New York, because these New Jersey people will pay whatever. <laughs> and they're paying whatever to do sinful things, because they're sinners. Yeah. And the reason they're sinners is because they were born in sin, singular, S-I-N, and you can jump up and down and, and harp on all the particular sins you want to, and you're just talking about everyday things. Yeah. 
But when you talk, start talking about the sin nature for which Christ died, Jesus Christ did not die for Budweiser. He died for an Adamic nature. And until you get that Adamic nature taken care of, you can harp on particular sins all you want to. They were born in those sins. They're going to do those sins. And some of you folks that are born again are still living in those sins. Amen. Because the Adamic nature, once you got saved, that thing is still in your flesh. It's been washed clean from your soul and your spirit, but it's still in your flesh, and it's going to hound you to the day you die. And while you're, while you're focusing on getting one of those sins, plural, cleaned up, you, another one will be slipping in the back door, taking over the parts you done cleaned up. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't know that's true, you don't know anything about Christianity, you've just been playing religion. Yeah. 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 Amen. Right. Amen. There's a level of hypocrisy in preaching. Yeah. There's a level of hypocrisy in witnessing to the people you work with. Because, see, you're witnessing to them about those in particular things you see in their life. And guess what, bucko? They see the individual things in your life. Yeah. Amen. What you need to witness to people about is their sin. And I'm listen, I'm talking about generalities here. When you see somebody on cocaine, obviously you want to talk to them about that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying to forget particular sins or not preach on particular sins. I'm just saying how come it is that we get so focused on everything else except for the gospel and the gospel I'm talking about the gospel that has a remedy for sin the sin nature how come we don't focus on that like we ought to and that's what he's talking about when he says if I do this thing against my will well I'd sure rather preach on prophecy I don't think there's a prophecy in the Bible that's any greater than uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ as far as the gospel is concerned except for the revelation of Jesus Christ at his advent I understand the greatness of that. It's our blessed hope, but you can't have a part of that blessed hope unless you get saved. Amen. Amen. I, could say, I could say technically and theologically that the return of Christ is a greater doctrine than the gospel because it's it's, for those of us who are saved, that's the blessed hope. But that's only a technicality because unless you get saved, you don't get no part in that. You don't have a part in it. And so uh, you can... Uh, you can talk to people about their particular sins all you want to. You can preach from the pulpit about those things all you want to. But if you don't have an emphasis on the thing, on the gospel, which opens the door for a man to have power over those particular sins, then you might be chopping with the handle of the axe, as the, as the fellow did in, in the Old Testament. What I'm trying to get across to you is, is uh, you uh, emphasize the gospel, you're dealing with power. And you're dealing with, when you're dealing with power, and like I said, well, Brother Mike, I see these Christians, and they've been saved for 10 years, and, and there's been no change. I'm, I doubt that kind of salvation very seriously. It's not my job to look into every man's heart and decide whether they're saved or not. I just know this, that a man who is sin, uh, a man who is saved is going to have the power to get control over some things in his flesh. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And if, you're not, if, you're not, if you are saved and you don't, you're not living in such a way that the Holy Spirit can, can overcome some of those things in your flesh, then just an undisciplined life is all I can say. I, we're saved by faith, not by works. I think everybody understands that here. I want to make that clear. You are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ without works. 
Also, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that, but the very next verse, well, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, praise God. How about 10? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, if that hadn't showed up yet and you've been saved 10 years, check up. Uh, for 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. And so because the power of God is real. It's not just an influence, it's power. And if you get saved, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to deal with you. And if you've been living 10 years and no change and uh, thank God for his grace, you've got the wrong idea about what grace is. And if you've been preaching for 10 years and only preached two gospel messages, I'd do a check up there. Amen. You might find that you've entered into the, to, uh, the, the neighborhood of Simon the sorcerer who saw the power and saw the prestige and, and saw that side of the equation, said, I want to get involved in that. And you might be preaching for the wrong reason. Amen. Well, let, let's leave it at that and go on about, the, uh, about being immersed. Now, let, let's read in verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews became I as a Jew. Excuse me. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, uh, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Under the law to Christ. That's a great statement that all the folks that are crying legalists ought to be looking at very carefully. But he says that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. Now, first of all, when we're talking about being immersed in the gospel, this is not talking about Paul running around pretending to be a Jew or pretending to be weak or pretending to be without law, or to pretending to be any of these things. He's not pretending anything. But what he's done is he's immersed himself. He's immersed himself in the gospel so that the gospel is powerful, not just because it's true and right and God's word, but he understands how to use it. Now, I can hand you an AK-47, but if you don't know how to use it, it's, gonna, it's not going to do you much good. You probably end up shooting yourself with it. Yeah. Amen? Now, you just think about that just a minute, and you, I think you'll understand that many, many people have shot themselves in the foot with religion. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I read, the, I read uh, Psalm chapter 90 one time, and I read this scripture. You base your whole Christian life off to Psalm, Psalm 90 when you live in the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Uh, some folks read Acts chapter 2 and spend the rest of their Christian life in Acts chapter 2, not knowing Romans through Philemon created just for you. Amen? Well, that's what I'm talking about. You can not know how to use a thing and and, uh, shoot yourself in the foot with it, do more damage than is good. And Paul here, he says, I've become... uh, as a Jew to the Jew, as as weak to the weak. He's not talking about pretending, uh, you know... Made all things to all men. So get around rich people and pretend you're rich. I've got to go get a a membership at the country club 
and play golf six days a week so that if I happen to run across a, a lawyer or a doctor that I can deal effectively with this guy. No, you don't have to be rich to deal with the rich. But, I would, uh, but there's a, there is a method to what he's saying here that can help you do all those things. You can be as rich to the rich, and you can be as weak to the weak, and you can be as a Jew to the Jew. And what he's talking about is being immersed in the gospel. And there's a real good, you know, that's kind of confusing, Brother Mike. Well, there's a good example of it in the Bible. Let's turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. When Solomon became king, God said, hey, ask me what I'll do for you. And Solomon said, I'd like to be wise so that I could deal with your people. Now, paraphrasing a little bit, but Solomon says, I want to be wise so I know how to judge your people. I'm the king, I'm the judge, and I want to do it right. I want to judge right judgment. I want to be able to make the right decisions when it comes time to make a decision. And so God said, boy, I'll grant you that request. And you'll be the wisest man that there ever was or ever will be. Plus, I'm going to give you riches on top of that because you asked for the right thing. Amen? And so what we see in, in the book of Ecclesiastes is King Solomon becoming wise to the wise. He's becoming a fool to the fool. He's becoming weak to the weak. And, and I'll show you that here in, in Ecclesiastes. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and we'll just go through a few of these things and see what Solomon's doing here. What prophet, verse 3, uh, Ecclesiastes 1, 3, what prophet hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? That's the, that's the first and big question that he asks in this book. He says, what profit is there? Of all the labor that I'm doing, what profit is it? So he's at, what, he's, what he's asking the question about, what he's about to do in order to find the answer to that question is he's going to try to experience everything there is to experience about life. And once he, once he studies it, once he looks into it, once he sees the, that vantage point or the viewpoint, when, when somebody that's crazy, when somebody that's super smart, when somebody that's rich, when somebody that's poor, when somebody that's a carpenter, when somebody that's a, uh, that's a farmer comes in and asks him a question or pleads to him, he's going to see everything that needs to be seen from that vantage point and from that viewpoint he's going to have the answer for. Yep. Well, so that's a lot of work for a king. Well, the gospel's a lot of work for a Christian. Wouldn't you agree with that? Amen. Amen. Well, I, I see that guy over there standing in the parking lot. I'm going to go change his life. You better watch out. You might mess up his life. I'm not saying don't witness to him. Not saying that at all. But I think you ought to have some experience to be able to say things that you should say and not say something that you shouldn't say. Amen? Amen. I, I can tell you some stories about opening my uh, mouth and inserting my foot, but that'd be, a, that'd be a message that's too long to preach. Probably for you too. Well, look down in look down in verse number eighteen. Well, what, he asked the Lord for wisdom. Correct. He asked the Lord for wisdom. Everybody got that? And how many of you ever said, "Lord, give me the ability to preach," or "Give me the ability to teach"? Lord, help me to be able to be a good witness. You ever ask God for that? Well, look what He says in verse eighteen: "For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow." And Paul said, he said, I've become all things to all men. And you know what Paul lived? I mean, just as far as the, the outward man looking in, the carnal man looking at Paul's life, he lived a grief-full life. 
Even Paul himself, he said, I, the, the Lord allowed a, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And he said, I asked the Lord three times to take it away, and the Lord said, no, sir, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. It's a serious life that we're living here, Amen. serious life. Amen. And you're going to be involved in grief. You're going to be, but there's a joy that comes with Christianity. There's probably, uh, here's Solomon. He's trying to learn all he can about the people he's trying to judge. You know, one side of Christianity says, judge not. The other side of Christianity says, the righteous judge all things. Both of those statements are absolutely true. And here's Solomon. He's got all these people that come to him. He has to be right. And everybody you run into and talk to about the Lord, you have to be right. You have to be right. You have to be uh, the Lester Roloff said before he died, he said, of course he didn't say it after he died. He said it before he died. If he said it after he died, I don't want to hear it. But he said a preacher can afford to be anything but wrong. You have to be right. And unfortunately, we're fallible men. We say stupid things, and we, we don't prepare to preach, and we say stupid stuff instead of preaching. Amen? Amen. We don't prepare to preach, so, you know, when we get an opportunity to preach and you get an assignment to preach, you preach everything but the assignment. Amen? Well, where does that come from? Well, you're skipping a step that Solomon took in the Old Testament, and that is God made me a king. God gave me a job to do. Now it's my job to sit down and find out everything that I possibly can about all these people I'm judging, how they look at things. From, from well, two mothers, or as far as Solomon, Solomon knew, two mothers come before him. So this is my baby. Her baby died, and she switched this one up with me. What do I do? You know what Solomon had to do? He had to look at it from the vantage point of a mother. Yeah. To the mothers, he became as a mother. That's what Paul said he did for the Jews and for the weak. He said, I tell you what, let's just cut the baby in half. What does he know about mothers? Ain't no mother going to let her baby be cut in half. That's why these ladies who are getting all these abortions, they're not mothers. Amen? They might be a lot of things, but they're not mothers. So Solomon says, cut the baby in half. And he knows the mother's going to go, no, let her have it. And when the mother, when the real mother said, no, let her have it, he gave the baby. The, see, that's wisdom. That's being a mother unto the mothers. And that's what Paul is talking about in the New Testament. He's talking about immersing yourself to, in the gospel enough to where you can say, when somebody says, I'm an atheist, you know what to say. You know where to come from. When he says, well, I, I believe in speaking in tongues and I, I know I'm saved because my grandmother was a preacher and, and all these stupid stuff, where did... Where did, uh, you know, how did Noah get all them animals in the ark and all this stuff? You know how to deal with stuff, and those are maybe stupid illustrations, but I think you understand the point I'm trying to make. And by the way, you get all the animals in the ark by building it big enough to get them all in there. <laughs> Simple stuff, amen. But you, you, what, you, what I'm talking about is, hey, now you're saved. Get in your Bible and start studying, then start looking at people's lives. The reason why you can't see everybody else's life and see how to deal with these people is because you're just looking at your life. Well, I can't help you with your problems. I've got enough problems of my own. How many, how many lost people have you heard say that? I don't have time to deal with you because I've got problems of my own. 
Some people are doing that to their kids. Hey, yep. this ain't on, but when you have kids, your life is over. <laughs> That's not a good way to put that. <laughs> but in a literal sense, you can't worry about the things for yourself anymore. You're going to have to wait till they're about 35 in order to do that again. But what I'm talking about is you've got to worry about their needs now. But somehow as you worry about their needs, God meets yours. God meets your needs. And the, it's the same way in a Christian life. You were worried about me, me, me before you got saved. Now you got saved and you realize that God can do this thing that he's done for me for everybody else. And you start investing in everybody else's life. And whether you know it or not, that's a cure for depression. It's a cure for so many types of grief that you're investing yourself in somebody else and God's taking care of the things that's going on in your P-trap up here. Uh, me, me, me. We think about ourselves so much, we, think we're, we, we all think we're geniuses. I got out of that problem. Then a problem pops up tomorrow. You didn't get out of the problem yesterday. You shuffled it off. When you wake up tomorrow, you're still in the problem. You're still in a mess. You're not a genius. You're an idiot. <laughs> so now that I've realized I'm an idiot, let me go help everybody else. But see, you're not, you're not helping them with your own solutions. You're helping them with the gospel. You're not preaching yourself. We, Paul says we don't preach ourselves but Christ. So you're on a daily basis you're telling, hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And you can throw your own testimony in there. Man, I was living this life or I was living that life and the Lord did this or that for me and incorporate. That's what Paul did. That's what, that's what everybody that, who God ever rescued from anything done in the Bible. Hey, this is what God done. And you go about showing what great things the Lord has done for you. And as the, the icing on the cake, Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again. You're dealing with people now. And so then God deals with you. Uh, the old preacher said that God would put the angels on half rations to take care of that, uh, that son of his that was being a witness, that Christian that was being a witness. I believe those things. I believe those things with all my heart. So uh, Solomon goes about to uh, get into the, uh, the life of men. And if you, we don't really have time to go through all of this stuff, and I'm going to skip over some of this. But just for example, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon explores mirth, happiness. He explores sorrow. He explores carpentry. He explores agriculture. He explores industry. He explores forestry. You read about it for yourself. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. You'll see. Uh, irrigation. You ever think around this place you would run into somebody who might have something to do with irrigation? <laughs> Farmers. Well, here's a king that don't have to plant anything. And he's studying stuff like that. He studies finance. He said, I, he said, I, I studied riches and, and heaping up treasures and stuff like that. Uh, savings, hoarding. I mean, if you've already got 20,000 pounds of silver, what do you need with some more? But Solomon talks about heaping up treasures. He said, I tried to do all that, and he did. Yeah. Amen? Hoarding. You think you might run into a hoarder at some point in time? Mm -hmm. You surely will. We'll get into some of this a little bit more next week, but uh, choir orchestration. You might have to run into somebody like Jesse. Amen? Or Brother Neith. 
might have to witness to somebody like that sometime. Well, that's what Solomon did. Uh, choir orchestration, uh, uh, orchestra itself, music and all this stuff. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 10, he lived in avarice, just everything he wanted. Uh, not just hoarding treasure, but spending some of it. In chapter 2, verse 12, psychology. I've heard, I've heard many a preacher in Independent Baptist Church, I don't care about no psychology. Well, somebody in the world does. Suppose you run into somebody that's been studying Nietzsche. I don't know that, who that is. I don't care who that is, man. Okay, let him die and go to hell. You know who Dale Earnhardt Jr. is. Yeah, I'm talking about your guy. Y'all keep talking in church, I'm going to start talking to you. Amen? Amen. 3.16, John 3.16. No, Ecclesiastes 3.16. He's talking about political science. He's learning political science. Well, I ain't worried about these politicians. I'm just going to heaven, amen. Solomon didn't think that was, he thought it was a wise move to learn about all this stuff. Because you're going to run into people out here who just eat up with that stuff. Amen. He learned about folly. He learned about madness. I ran into a guy that was full of madness yesterday. I didn't deal with him effectively. <laughs> Pray for your assistant, Pastor, because he's weak in the flesh. But I'm trying, amen. If you know, if you know anything about anger management, you counsel with me after church. I'll listen, amen. Uh, I, I knew it was an unwise move when I hollered out, you stupid Yankee, in the middle of a parking lot full of folks from up north. <laughs> Amen. But I've not arrived yet. I'm still studying. Amen. I'm not Solomon. But at any rate, but at any rate, that, that's what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about pretending to be a Jew when he's around Jews and pretending to be around weak when he's around weak people. He's talking about learning and immersing himself in life because that's what God came to give. He gave life to Adam, and then when you got saved, he gave you life more abundantly. And this, this idea of cliques and making churches into political movements and I'm against you and you're against me and all this stuff, and even within a church, you don't dress like I do, you don't look like I do, you don't act like I do, so I'm against you. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. That's what got us into an independent mess as it is. Amen? Uh, I don't know of a better system right now, but the system as it is could be better just by utilizing the power of the gospel rather than the power of the tongue. Amen? Oh, we can craft some good messages. But the best messages are gospel messages that's aimed at the remedy that God intended when he died on the cross. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We surely do thank you that you give us an opportunity to learn these things. When I think of my feeble mind getting to mess around in the gospel and the word of God and all the great doctrines that there are, I'm amazed that you let me live. I'm amazed that you let me preach. I'm amazed that you let me witness. And Lord, we take so few opportunities to do that when, Lord, there's where the power lies. And I pray you'd help us, Lord, as we go forward to utilize this thing more and more. We'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray it. Amen. All right, take a little break. I didn't know how long to say. Yeah.